Brad, Sarah, thank you very, very much. How many of you, when you see <clears throat> two-year-old on the screen there, praise God even more that that's not you they're calling for? I thought that's the reason, one of the reasons we put it up there is so that you who are through that stage can praise God even more on Sunday morning that it's not me they're calling, it's somebody else. I love it. Every time I see that, oh, thank you, Lord, we're through that stage. And then our grandkids came for the weekend. <laughs> thank you, Lord, they went home. They were with us a few weeks ago, and Aaron called the next day and said, Mom, i got to ask you a question. Dad asked three times on Monday night what time we were leaving, and you helped us pack the van. <laughs> Was there something we missed? <laughs> no, we just were helping you, honey. I know I've shared my favorite Peter Wagner line. I've seen the lights of London. I've seen the lights of Rome, but the lights I like the most of all are the grandkids going home. Have I shared that one before? A lot of information in your bulletin. Make sure you read it very well and carefully. The end of the message this morning, we're going to take a deacon's offering, help out those who are in need. So please be prepared for that after communion this morning. And Justice, Justin will lead us through that. BBS registration is out there, so take advantage of that this morning as well and make sure that your kids are here. And a part of that, you invite as many kids from your neighborhood and your community as you possibly can as we come together. I do want to remind you to pray for my brother Dave Panther this morning. Dave has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He was in Shadyside Hospital this week going through radical treatment to uh, get through that. Dave is pastor, a senior pastor of the First United Methodist Church here in town. But I know he would appreciate your prayers, and I promised him that our church family was praying for him as well. Knees all over this church. I get that totally, and hundreds of them. But uh, I did promise him that I would let you uh, know so that you could be praying for him. Didn't ask me that, but I'm asking you that this morning. Well, today's the last day of the Ten Commandments. We've been on our journey for the last three months. You at least got to remember that they were on their journey for 40 years, so ours doesn't seem near as long compared to theirs. Today is probably the last time in my journey here as senior pastor at Community Alliance Church that we even talk much about the Ten Commandments been 10, 12 years since we talked about them before. I can't imagine we'll do them again before I finish my ministry here at Community Alliance. So I really want you to understand the things that God wants to teach us out of this context. What I want to do this morning is review some of the principles and then culminate with some personal time that we're going to spend with God prior to and during communion. We've been in this journey since the last Sunday of February. And hopefully in your sermon notes this morning, you'll see that all the blanks are filled in. Someone says, you don't know exactly what we're going to be doing at the end. I hope you're going to do some writing at the end as well. And you'll understand that as we get there. Hopefully you've discovered that these words are just as powerful today and have been during these last three months together as when they were written over 4,000 years ago. God gave the Israelites some very clear guidelines, some protective boundaries to live the life in the land that he was calling them to. These same principles apply to us. These are incredible guidelines and boundaries that God puts into our life to help us live out the life he's calling us to. Without them, we find ourselves floating on a sea of relativism with nothing to keep us from being driven along by every whim of our culture until we end up living like the Old Testament days in the book of Judges where it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was nothing to guide them and point them in the right direction. As it is, we have the courts making decisions for our families 
We have judges overruling the desire of the people. I'm still fascinated by the fact that three judges overrode the will of the people in Proposition 8 in California a few years ago on same-sex marriage. We so often, when it comes to a political election, look at a president or a senator or or someone like that in that power. You need to look very carefully and clearly at who you vote for in a judge in some of these situations because they, in and of themselves, by one or three, will override the will of the people. We need to be very conscious and aware of what's going on around us and how to be involved in that to make some changes that are necessary. We've got the school system telling us what and when we need to teach certain issues to our children and the media telling us what to believe and how to vote. God in his wisdom, grace, and sovereignty gave us some boundaries and guidelines that if we adhere to these can change and shape our lives in unbelievably positive ways. But we ignore them and the result can be disastrous on people, families, nations, and I believe on a whole culture. Exodus chapter 20 contains some of the most magnificent expressions of God's heart for his people. Ten great words for life delivered to God's people designed to show them how to live and flourish in the freedom and deliverance that he brought them from out of Egypt, out of that bondage, and he's heading them to this promised land. Magnificent as these words are, they're often misunderstood and misapplied. Some believe that God has finally found a way to spoil our fun to make us live our lives as rigid as possible, sounding like a mean parent with a scour on his face saying, thou shalt not. The fact is, nothing could be further from the truth. These words invite us to a life full of joy and meaning. Some believers think the Ten Commandments don't apply today. They recite verses like, we're not under the law but under grace, therefore the law has no bearing on our lives. Christ redeemed us from the law, so it's set aside. If righteousness comes from performing the law, then Christ died needlessly. And all of that is true. Performing the law has no power to save or redeem anyone. That's the gospel. We're saved by grace. Through faith, not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would boast. And because we've been saved by grace and not the law, some have said the law of God has no benefit or value. They make the Ten Commandments sound bad and almost restrictive or optional. If I'm free, I can do whatever I want. The frightening results of that can be a people who claim to be believers in Christ, but think and live and act no differently than the culture around them. And if you live like that, let me say this as lovingly but as firmly as I know how, you're in extremely dangerous territory. It never bothers me when non-believers don't obey the Word of God or the Ten Commandments. What bothers me is when believers who know the Word of God cease to go their own way and do their own thing as it is anyhow. The law of God given to Moses in Exodus 20 was never a means by which people could secure redemption. When God gave this to Moses, he gave it to a people who were already called the people of God. These words didn't come to people who were in slavery as a way to get out of slavery. They were given to a people already possessed by God as a gift. A resource that God provides to help his people know how to live in the freedom that he's already provided. Exodus chapter 20 verse 2, I'm the Lord your God. It brought you up out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. And in that context, in those first few moments, God reminds them of who he is. He reminds them of what they used to be. And he reminds them of who they are now. Which is exactly what the Apostle Paul does in almost every one of his epistles. He tells his readers who God is and what they were. He tells us what God does for us. He tells us who we are now in Jesus. 
In light of all that God has done, Paul said, this is then how you ought to live. Grace redeems you. It's the only thing that can. Grace delivers you. Grace provides with all we need. Grace paid the price to set us free from the bondage that we were under. But Paul says, what we need to understand is that the grace that redeemed you, delivered you, and healed you is now calling us to live a different way that is consistent with the freedom that we now have in Christ. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are an epistle of grace. As he says, here's who God is. Here's what he's done for you. Therefore, in verse 1 of chapter 12, I urge you, in view of all of God's mercy, in view of all of God's grace, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. Don't be conformed to the patterns of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing Three and a half months ago, I asked you to imagine with me for a moment what it would be like to be among a people whose desire more than anything else is to put God first and accept no substitutes. Not that we ever do it perfectly, but our deepest desire in all of life, not just on Sunday, but in all of life, is to put God first. To never make Him fit into our image, but for us to fit into His. And to become more and more like Christ as we continue in our journey with Him. What it would be to be among a people where the agenda and direction of a church was not determined by the latest fad or the current culture, but to be among a people whose lives are being directed by the voice of God, by the hand of God, and by the heart of God. Think about it. What What would it be like to be in a place where the name of God was revered? Not just spoken or even sung about, but where the name of God really was revered. Where people stand and sing and pray in in awe of who God is. Who know that one day that the very name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And because that's true, that one day every knee would bow, what would it be like to be among a people who believe God's name could deliver, could set free, could heal today? Not in some future experience, but now. But the same God that we sing about, praise about, they pray to, they sought for every fiber of their being, for every situation they faced, for every circumstance they found themselves in, that same God who delivered and healed and rescued and set free is alive and available to all of us today. Imagine being in a place where I could be myself, where I didn't have to pretend, where people were honest, where they didn't lie where they didn't gossip, where they didn't bear false witness, where our our words lifted up and encouraged instead of hurt and torn down. What would it be like to be a husband or a wife who didn't have to wonder whether a mate would be faithful or wish they were someone else? What would it be like? Heaven, some say. Exactly. The kingdom of heaven. See, this to me is a call to kingdom living. Not now, not for some future day, but now. We were made for this. This is what we were created for. God redeemed us, God delivers us, God satisfies us, and He wants us to be all that we were made to be and be designed to be in Him. When, now, how, put Him first. Accept no substitutes. Revere His name. Observe His day. Honor your parents. Be devoted to your mate. Be honest and respect life. 
And as you do, you'll experience the kingdom of God on earth, which is exactly what Jesus prayed for in Matthew when he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. So now you're turned to write in your sermon notes. Over the last three months, what adjustments has God asked you to make as we study these ten? Over the last few months, what adjustments has God asked you to make? Maybe you were doing them all perfectly and here to them completely, and you really did as Jesus summed them up in two phrases. Love God with every fiber of your being, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and you really do love your neighbor as yourself. If indeed you're that, you have nothing to fill in. But if not, what adjustments has God been asking you to make during these last three and a half months together? Because without that, if indeed you are, unless you're perfect, but there's no adjustments you're desiring to make, I've wasted my time and energy and my focus over the last three and a half months. God loves you and I like crazy and wants to direct our lives in the best possible way, but we have to let him. We need to ask ourselves, does he really have that rightful first place in our lives? Or have other things gotten in the way? Are there any other things that are more important, not important, but other things that are more important than our relationship with God? Are, are there things that over the last few months God's been pointing out to you that maybe has, has snuck in that section where only was reserved for God and that two or three or four or five or whatever that may be on your list has kind of transferred the list and, and now God's not near as important as he used to be or certainly as it needs to be. Are there things that have gotten in the way that as we share and spend some time in reflection to communion this morning that you're going to ask God to help you eradicate and realign that list? Do you misuse his name? Not just about language. But when we say we're believers, followers of Christ, or a Christian and claim the name of Jesus, but don't really live like it at all, I believe we've taken his name in vain. How about our schedule? Do we spend one day a week to rest, to get our priorities back in line, to spend some time remembering and reflecting on God's amazing grace? Or has Sunday become that day of the week where I fulfill my religious duty and then get caught up on all the things that I didn't get done throughout the rest of the week? How about our respect for our parents? What would you do with that one? Because all of us had them. None of us in the room with that one. <laughs> they may not be alive today, but we all had them. Or we wouldn't be here. But what, what do we do with that one? And parents, and I have to ask myself the same question, are we living a life worthy of honor? Not even having to worry about in the past, have I lived a life worthy of honor? Have I made the adjustments now that God has put me in or, or spoken to me about, and have I made the necessary adjustments so that I really am living a life worthy of honor? The Scripture says to the children, honor your parents. And if so, I want to live a life worthy of honor. What about life itself? Do we respect it? The words that we talked about in that particular context, do they build up or tear down? They're powerful. Proverbs says, and James reiterates it in the same way as, the tongue has the power to give life or bring death. 
How about our commitment to our marriage? Can our mates trust us? Did we really mean it when we said for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health? Did we really mean that? Last Saturday afternoon, I stood on the pulpit in Dave Panther's church because a wedding was done down there, and they asked me to do it and perform it because the gal grew up here. And as I stood on that platform, I was reminded of this 22-year-old couple standing before me when I asked them for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, and sickness and health. They all said, well, of course. It made me wonder, do you have any idea what that really means? Do you have any idea what you really committed to? Because I've watched Jana over the last few months in the worst or in the sickness of Dave's life be absolutely committed. And I've watched three other ladies in our context here, even at Community Alliance Church, who in the worst and in the sickness really did mean that. And every time I have a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old couple or a 23-year-old couple stand before me and I ask them that question, they say, of course. I often wonder, do you really know what that's going to look like? And do you really mean that? What about you and your relationship with your mate? What are you doing to put some safeguards in, the, in place to protect your marriage? What are you doing to improve that relationship so that it really can be everything that God's designed it to be and one that your children want to emulate? not run away from. What about our work ethic? Ted did a great job that Sunday morning of reminding us that our employers need to get the best out of us, and if not, in a sense, we're stealing from our place of employment. Are we people of integrity? Can we be trusted? And finally, last Sunday morning, are we finding our contentment in Christ? Are we on that never-ending quest for more and more and more and never, ever be satisfied? with what we have. So what I ask you to, this morning and for these next few moments together and prior to communion and maybe even during communion, as you look down that list on that page, what is God asking you to adjust, if anything? What, 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 are, you, what are you asking Him to help you with? What are you asking Him to strengthen in your relationship with Him or your mate? or your employer, or people around you. What, what is he asking you to do? What are you asking his help to do? Spend some time with God prior to communion, during communion. Speak to him, let him speak to you. We'll talk about it a little bit in July, just because something late, God's laid in my heart. But one of the basic purposes of the law was to point us to Christ. And to remind us that we cannot do this without Jesus. You can't fulfill these without Christ, which is one of the basic reasons that God gave them. We saw the, the parameters and the guidelines and the boundaries, absolutely. But one of the other reasons was to constantly point to Christ. And one of the things we need to remember is that we can't live this way without Jesus, directing every step of our life, directing every part of our, our journey, and every moment we fulfill it in him. So as you spend some time holding in your hands and preparing for communion, what is it that you need Christ to do in some of these areas of your life? Because he's the only one that can. And then what are you committing to do as we share it together? Father, as we hold these elements in a few moments in our hands that remind us of your amazing grace, incredible sacrifice you made for us on Calvary and the cross, we lay our lives before you and we ask in the name of Jesus that you will 
clearly speak to us and allow us to hear your voice louder than any other voice that rings in our ears. And as you hear us crying out to you, saying we desperately need your help in this area or that area, may it be one of the most amazing moments that we spend with you as we share this time together in the powerful, precious name of Jesus, we pray.